Sensational stop by Sparty. Interception by Angelo Grove. And the first touch is for Kenneth Walker. And a breakaway down on the far sideline. And Kenneth Walker will take it to the... This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Now for your host, Nathan Stearns. Welcome into the latest edition of Spartan Red Zone. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, behind the host mic, as always, joined by Aiden Champion and Zach Serdnick. Folks, we apologize for our brief hiatus. We went on winter break, so basically from mid-December until mid-January, we were not in East Lansing, but one place we were was in Atlanta, Georgia, to broadcast the 2021 Peach Bowl Michigan State despite falling behind 21 to 10 at the beginning of the fourth quarter, ends the game on a 21 to nothing scoring streak Spartans seal the 31 to 21 Peach Bowl victory with a 78 yard Cal Holiday return for a touchdown with 22 seconds remaining in that one. Guys, that game and, and this entire team and the reason why this year was so special for me is that they've done this before, but it was a culmination of things that we saw against Michigan and against Penn State and against Miami when that game was close, really down late in Nebraska. I know it was a third-string quarterback. Obviously, Nick Patty reportedly broke his collarbone diving for the pylon on that 16-yard rushing touchdown in the first half. We saw a lot of Davis Beville. But either way, it's still a New Year's Six Bowl win over an ACC champion. It's still a, an 11-win year, and it's still a New Year's Six Bowl victory. Yeah. Um, you know, it, was a, it was a great uh, way to cap off the season for Michigan State, even though it wasn't uh, the prettiest game, um, and you know that's that's been the case for so many wins this year from Michigan State. They somehow are always able to make it exciting, even though it can be, you know, a very ugly performance um, on either side of the ball. And you know, it, it's it's what they've done all season. They found a way to win um, amidst all the adversity with injuries or uh, with K nine declaring for the draft, and um, you know even though they went up against a team without Heisman Kenny Pickett and were playing against a third-string quarterback most of the game, you know, there's still a lot to be said about this win uh, for Michigan State. It's still a very solid Pittsburgh program. I agree. I think that you could clearly see the difference that Kenneth Walker made on this Michigan State team as the Spartans were really unable to get anything going on the ground throughout the entire game. Jordan Simmons led the team in rushing in the game, less than 30 yards on the ground for him. I believe 55-ish total yards for the team on the ground. Not a great showing, but what really impressed me was the play of Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne started the game really, really well. Quick 28-yard touchdown to Jaden Reed, first possession, after just a phenomenal kick from Steven Rushnak that took a good bounce and pinned Pitt inside the two-yard line to start the game. But... The Spartans were able to take advantage early. They scored on their first two possessions and then went ice cold until that fourth quarter. But Peyton Thorne made an adjustment and he figured it out. He talked in the postgame press conference about Mel Tucker went up to him and said, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? And he said, my feet aren't right. I can't get this to work. And Tucker said to him, fix it and then let it rip. And Thorne did just that. He got himself back together and he went down and made some big throws. That throw to Connor Hayward, which Hayward made a phenomenal catch on for the first touchdown in that second half for Michigan State, was an NFL throw. That is into a tight window off your back foot and putting it right on the money. The Jaden Reed play, that was a very good throw, but that was just Jaden Reed being better than the guy that was guarding him. He just mossed MJ Devonshire and rocked the baby on him after that catch. But they impressed me with their resilience in that game and we're going to touch on this later, but most of the guys that contributed in that game will be back next year. And there's going to be a lot of fun position races in camp to keep an eye on in the spring and in the summer as we get into next season. Well, and you talked about it, Zach. Uh, Peyton Thorne officially goes 29 of 50, 354 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That one interception was a ball that he tried to throw to Malik Carr on an out route that was 
read and taken the other way, but yeah, just to confirm what you said, Jordan Simmons doesn't get the 30 rushing yards, 16 carries, 23 yards. The team is a total runs for 56 yards on 36 carries, a really, really lousy mark, but we knew Pittsburgh's front seven was going to be lethal. And for me, it was nut up or shut up time for Peyton Thorne. And first, you, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head. The first, you know, the first quarter, that first, um, that 28-yard touchdown, pa touchdown pass, obviously set up by the fact Pittsburgh returns the opening kickoff down at the two to uh, have to punt. Jaden Reed returns the ball to the 30-yard line and then basically just throwing it up and Jaden Reed um, mossing everyone in the Pittsburgh secondary. A.J. Woods had a rough, rough day across from Reed, but he made big boy throws. Pittsburgh was blitzing and he made big boy throws. Give him credit for finding Jalen Naylor, incorporating Trey Mosley, incorporating Malik Carr. A lot of guys that contributed in that game, especially at the skill position, will be back next year. I'm excited for the emergence of Trey Mosley. He had a couple really big boy catches on third down. He's not the He's not as quick or as fleet of foot as Jaden Reed. He doesn't get down the field on those deep posts, on those deep goal balls quite as well, but he's the prototypical Julian Edelman, really good hands receiver who's sort of what they would what you would call a chain receiver, where on third down, he's gonna find a way to catch the ball every single time. He's not the most explosive guy. He's not doesn't have four five, four four speed. But he's solid. And then, obviously, you look at guys like Keon Coleman, who had a couple big catches. Brandon Wright, who had a heck of a game off the defensive edge, had a sack. He had a couple tackles for losses, making Davis Beville run for his life. You saw a lot of guys, and this was the most encouraging thing for me. It parts throughout the game. You saw a lot of guys that hadn't played a lot, I think you would say. And for me, I'm looking at a guy like Spencer Brown, who was at right tackle, did some really good things, did some things that weren't so good but of course when you're lining up across from Haba Baldonado a first team all ACC selection who had several sacks going into that game you saw guys who you're going to need to rely on next year and the year after and the year after really step up when they needed to Mana Oteote had a couple really nice tackles you saw Kari Crump give solid reps on special teams the future I think for this football team is extremely 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 bright in terms of what you want to get out of a full game um i think i i think this was a great all-around performance for michigan state in terms of um like you said guys who will be uh, making a future impact in these coming seasons um i think a lot of guys made statements um during this game again as i said before it wasn't obviously it wasn't the prettiest performance but a lot of guys did step up when they needed to um, and I think it, I don't know, I, I, I think this game makes Spartan fans a little more comfortable about what they may be seeing next season, a little more optimistic, um, because, I mean, the we knew it wasn't going to be a solid um, performance on the, on the ground for Michigan State in this game, and of course it wasn't, and the receivers came up big, um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see... Obviously, there's a lot to see from Berger, and um, you know we'll we'll see what the backfield looks like for the Spartans next season. But I think they've got a very solid receiving crew, and that's something um, something to look forward to. And I think Peyton Thorne, I I would I think he'll have a better season next season uh, than this season. Well, I think because he's going to be asked to do more, yeah. you're not going to be yeah. able to give it to Kenneth Walker and. No. What I need to see and what I'm curious about going into next year is how what Thorne did so well was predicated a lot on the fact that it was built off of what Kenneth Walker could do. You can't sell out for both. The pass for that Michigan State offense was based off of the run. When the run is going well, it opens up everything else. When your rushing attack isn't working, a la Nebraska, Thorne has to do a little bit more or even against Michigan at times, against Penn State at times. And then you saw some really good things. I think, you know, in my opinion, a lot more good than Bayer. The guy threw for 27 touchdowns this year. That set a all-time single-season record-breaking Kirk Cousins, former record of 25 touchdowns. But it's the composure for me. It's the fact that it was going bad, it was going bad, it was going bad. It was, 
you start getting in your own head, you know, why, you know, I mean, if, if I'm Peyton Thorne, it's like, okay, I, there's a third string quarterback that I might lose to. And, you know, he runs the ball, fumbles the ball. They return it for a touchdown right out of the intermission. It's the 14 minute mark of the third quarter, but was, it was the ability when his team needed him the most to step up. And you saw that against Penn State. You saw Jaden Reed mossing a couple people. You saw Jalen Naylor have a sensational game, six receptions for 108 yards. And again, you saw Malik Carr. You saw all those guys on the outside really kill Pittsburgh's sort of more aggressive cover one scheme with those with those intermediate curl routes. And going forward, the sky's the limit for him, in my opinion at least. And I'm curious to think what you guys what you guys think. I think he's the second best quarterback in the Big Ten after Stroud going into next year. Either second or third behind O'Connell. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of talent in the Big Ten at a lot of different positions. But quarterback is one that there's some questions for a lot of different teams. You don't know who's going to start for Indiana. Michael Penix transferred out. You don't know who's going to start at Michigan even between McNamara or McCarthy. I personally think it should be McNamara because he just took them to the playoff. But not the point. I think there's an argument to be made for Peyton Thorne there. O'Connell's still there. O'Connell put on a show against Michigan State this year. But similar to Peyton Thorne's going to have to show what he can do without Kenneth Walker setting things up, Aiden O'Connell's going to have to show what he can do without David Bell. Because it's a whole lot easier to be that level of a quarterback when you're throwing to David Bell. Just like it's a whole lot easier for Peyton Thorne to be that level of quarterback when he's throwing to Jaden Reed. Your skill positions make you a much better quarterback in that spot. Now, that doesn't mean you can make the argument that C.J. Stroud's not the top quarterback in the Big Ten because he had top talent, because you just, you're not watching the games if you think that. I mean, C.J. Stroud is clearly the best quarterback in the Big Ten. From there, though, I think there's an argument. Definitely is an argument, I, I would say. Um, and, you know, like you said, Stearns, he's going to have to rely uh, more so on passing next season, and that's, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, frankly, no matter, no matter who ends up, um, who, who we see most of in the backfield. Um, but I mean, they, they have a heck of a receiving core for next season and, um, he's got a number of targets to go to. So uh, I, I think he, he's already, um, d displayed that he's a game manager that, um, you know, he, he's very, very smart quarterback and I, I think he's just as skilled. Uh, so I think, I think, uh, I think he'll be in the conversation. I don't think it's outlandish to think so. Well, and for someone like me, that's the kind of game, especially in the second half, that gives you confidence, that propels you momentum-wise going into next year. You lose that game, there's a better taste in your mouth. Let's be honest, you didn't beat Pittsburgh at their best. You beat, you lose, you lose that game to Pittsburgh. It's a guy who's only. You know, career action was against St. Barbara's Catholic School for the deaf and the blind. I mean, that's a game you can't lose. And you didn't. You made the necessary adjustments. That's a program-building win for Michigan. It's not easy to win 11 games in a year in the Big Ten, guys. It's not easy to win a New Year's Six Bowl game. Spartans, that's only the MSU's second New Year's Six Bowl win after the 2015 Cotton Bowl a lot of programs that don't have any New the, Year's Six the Bowl. The first 2015 Cotton yes, Bowl, not, not the, the second, second 2015 Cotton Bowl. That one was much less pretty. But, I mean, yes, that's a game you couldn't lose if you were Michigan State. All respect, all due respect to Pittsburgh. That outstanding season, Pat Narduzzi's squad was really good. You're paying Mel Tucker $95 million now. Michigan State doesn't want to be in that second tier anymore. You needed to win that game. If you want to be a top 10 team in the country every year, that was the start of it. Because 11-2 and two and a New Year's 6 win is a much different story than 10-3 and three without it. Especially because you had a guy who came in in Kenneth Walker, who was phenomenal. Heisman Trophy candidate. Probably should have been a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. But he's gone now. And he didn't play in that game. You lose that game without him, then it comes in your head, oh, were we only this good because of him? Was he the only reason we were able to do this? Now you know that you can do that without him. You're going to have to get the run game figured out. You're, whether that's Jalen Berger, whether that's Trevante Citizen maybe, that we'll touch on later. But 
you have to get the running game going in order for this offense to succeed. But winning that game without Kenneth Walker really just set things in motion continually. This is a team that's probably going to be a preseason top 10, top 15 team in the country next year. The expectations are different. Looking at their schedule, which again, I think we're going to look at that in a little bit, but you have to be, for MSU, anything less than 9 or 10 wins is a disappointing season at this point now. That's a completely different mindset from what they had last season. And playing in the Big Ten, you can play really well all season and still go 8-4. and four, Easily. MSU's got five of the top 20 teams in the country next year on their schedule. And yet, the expectation is 9 or 10 wins. So I don't think losing that game was something that they really could have afforded for their momentum going forward. No, and I uh, I completely agree with you both that that's just that's a game you had to win. Um, and I think I think most would say so. Um, but I still give Michigan State a ton of credit uh, for that win. I mean, bottom line, you're you're playing without the guy who got you there, your best player all season, Heisman candidate, or should have been Heisman candidate. Um, but uh, it's you had to change your whole game plan, and that's that's tough for any team. Um, had to had to air it out more than um, than you usually did, and um, you and also getting Naylor back. Yes, that that helped, but it's also like I mean the guy missed several weeks. You don't really know what you're gonna get, um, and of course he he showed out and had a heck of a game, a hundred. Po- 100 plus receiving yards so um i just i do think there's a lot of credit that should be given to michigan state including one of the best catches i've ever seen uh, yeah that when you get that beautiful deep post that they run the throws behind him he yanks it down with his hand only for a couple procedural penalties on the offensive line and for matt coglin to shank the 33 yard field goal but we've talked about it all year winning cures everything Winning masks a lot of deficiencies. Michigan State had no problem marching deep into Pittsburgh territory. But how many, Zach, you'd know this better than you were. They five times they were in Pittsburgh territory in the first half? Four yeah. or five and you have ten points? In the first three quarters, they had five trips inside the Pittsburgh 30-yard line and ten points. And they came, one of them on a 28-yard touchdown and then the one field goal. But they just could not get anything to finish in a drive. And even the Connor Hayward touchdown catch was on a drive that they got inside the 10 and stalled because of penalty and then a sack right away and came through on a big third down catch for a touchdown. But if he doesn't make that catch, then you're looking at a completely different ballgame because Michigan State maybe kicks the field goal, maybe to go down 21-13 at that point. But if not, you got fourth and goal from the 18. They had already went for it on fourth and goal from the 14 on the possession before and didn't get it. So you never know what would have happened had that not come through because that really changed the game. And then Cal Holiday's pick six was just the icing on the cake to an extent. But really, when you think about it, it really wasn't. Like, Pittsburgh was inside the 20-yard line. I mean, we were on the call that game, and I thought for sure that at best for Michigan State, that was going to overtime. I thought there's a very real chance they lose that game. That soft zone was getting torn up one way and down the other. I figured you were going to see Jordan Anderson toast somebody in the slot, most likely. Cal Holiday, Michigan State, likes playing Holiday in the slot. But what you saw, I'm going to give you a little bit of a schematic breakdown. Went back and watched the film. That's something that... Uh, film sessions with Stern. Something that Matt Rule really, really, really needs to do. But it was <laughs> it was sort of a sl- it was so- it was sort of a slot cross... Um, hybrid where he's going and what they teach linebackers to do is what you call sit in the window of the slant where you where you sort of where you sort of step toward the direction that the ball's being thrown so if he's running to the if he's running one way I'm stepping the opposite so he's got the ball and he's being trailed I think it was by either Darius Snow or Angelo Gross in the nickel but Holiday's shielding him and but Bevel doesn't see that Holiday's coming he thinks that Holiday's gonna blitz and Holiday and Noah Harvey were showing blitz right off the A-B gap, and then he drops back to cover right in the window of the slam. But when you're a quarterback, you're thinking, okay, they're both going to blitz. I'm going to have them wide open on a crossing route across the middle. He drops back, picks it, takes it the other way. The exact same thing he did against Indiana. Same kind of play. Slant route, 
where they're running it in between the hashes. You drop back a little bit, sit in the window of the slant, read the quarterback's eyes, undercut the route, take it the other way. So it just, it, it was a culmination of things for Michigan State, but as Zach alluded to, we're going to get into it a little bit more. Michigan State's retaining a lot more than I thought a lot of us thought was going to happen. Xavier Henderson has announced that he's coming back for next year. Jarrett Horst was probably the most surprising thing for me. I thought he was off the team. I thought, you know, he was going to transfer somewhere or, you know, he he, he just was going to do something else. Not involved with the Michigan State football program. He's back. Bryce Berenger's back. Ronald Williams, who, other than Charles Brantley, was MSU's only competent corner at large parts through the season. He's back. And then, obviously, the surprise, Jaden Reed, who I thought I thought he was gone. I thought Jalen Naylor was going to come out, was going to come back, and Jaden Reed was going to leave. Was I the only one that thought that? No, I think just, just about every person I've talked to thought that it was going to be the other way around, where... Reed was staying. Uh, I mean, Reed was going. Naylor was staying. But um, yeah, I that that's huge. I mean, for Michigan State, um, you know, you couldn't have really gone wrong with one of those guys leaving. Um, but uh, I mean, to have Reed back, that's just that's huge, especially for a team that uh, you know people are looking at and wondering if this was just a one-hit wonder kind of season flash in the pan like yeah. what indiana had last yeah. year yeah so with reed coming back i got a question for you guys because i'll give mine first and i'll see what you guys say your top four wide receivers next year because that wide receiver room is loaded yeah reed, especially with Jermani bernard now well i don't even know that that's gonna be really tough because you've got reed you've got mosley i think that Reed's clearly your number one. There's yes. no there's no question about that. I think Mosley's your two. Yes. And then you've got Montori Foster still there, Keon Coleman with another year. I mean, Keon Coleman's supposed to be a stud. So you've got Keon Coleman there. You've got Jeremy Bernard there. You've got a lot of guys. You've got um, Montori Foster, I already said. Terry Lockett's still there. Christian Fitzpatrick, yeah. Fitzpatrick's still there. None of those guys have transferred out yet. And so it's just that wide receiver room is going to be so ridiculously deep that I don't have any idea who's going to play. I mean, you know you've got Reed playing. Mosley will probably be the number two, although Mosley might be what some people think is wide receiver three because I could see him playing in the slot a lot, um, as he did this year, with either Coleman or Bernard on the outside. But it's going to be a very interesting stretch for Michigan State. I'm going to be, I mean... Obviously, I'll be back another year, so watching this team in the spring and then into the fall is going to be really, really interesting to watch some of those races. Wide receiver is one I'm looking at, running back is one I'm looking at, and then linebacker is really what I'm looking at, because they've probably got seven guys that could play at linebacker right now. Yeah. And I have, and the thing is, is that Cal Holiday's got to start, right? I mean, freshman All-American, led that team in a lot of different categories. You'd think he's got to start, but that leaves one spot for Quavaris Crouch, Ben Van Subren, uh Aaron Brule, Jacoby Winman. Ote, Ote. Yeah. Ote, Ote. I mean, that's five guys I just named that are fighting for one spot. Brule was going to be a first-round draft pick this year if he didn't have a bad season at Mississippi State. Winman is probably the better of the linebackers, at least from what I've seen and heard in terms of the film. Like, it's going to be ridiculous how much depth they have at that position. The question is, what combinations do they use with it? Do we see one of those guys move to a DN type combo piece? Kind of what Chris Bogle has done? I, that's a good question. I'm more of the philosophy. I don't think Quavaris Crouch is going to be back. That's just a gut inclination. I haven't heard anything. I, I just... I think the writing's on the wall a little bit, at least from his aspect. Um, yeah, he missed the end of the season. He missed the end of the season, with, and I don't know if you... I, I, we didn't see him. I, he could have very well been there. I didn't see him on the sideline for the Peach Bowl. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, I mean, he was he was 
playing a little bit against Ohio State, then he got pulled, he was hurt, and then yeah, he obviously... played like he was hurt before that. He played like two snaps against Ohio State, but he wasn't himself. No, and then he you know, obviously the month the month long break, obviously, um not sure how much it helped him, but my top four, you know, to go back to you, I'm thinking Reed and Mosley, yes. I mean, Mo- Mosley's a guy who gave you 550 receiving yards, and really, you-, you saw him do more against Purdue. You saw him do more against Penn State. You saw him do more against Maryland. I think Keon's probably number three for the sole reason he gives you a different physical element on the outside and across the middle than Jaden Reed and Trey Mosley give you. He's a bigger guy. He's a stronger guy. He's more of the traditional bump and run sort of receiver who you know every he's built more like a like a david bell like a 6263 215 pound kid and not a 511 six foot guy it's just a different physical dimension uh he's gonna be really really big in sort of those red zone situations those goal line situation those crossing routes across the middle when you're gonna put jade when you're gonna send jaden reed and trey mosley on deeper routes, and then I think four probably is Montori gives you another speed element, another guy that is a very skip, a very similar skill set to so no, Jaden Reed. So no Bernard, not yet. No, no, they're so deep. I mean, he's going to have to vie with Jerron Glover. He's going to have to vie with Antonio Gates. He's going right, to have to. There's so many guys. Terry Lockett was a high three. I mean, they got nine. What nine wideouts on scholarship? I, I don't know why. And depending on what they have, Mingham play. I think I they think probably move the him. DN, yeah, I think the they move side, him to the not secondary. DN, but like the defensive side. And I just, I that I'm curious. I'm really curious about the secondary, the, oh, yeah. the cornerback safety rotation. Because you think, you think they go after uh, the kid from Georgia, uh, Speed Speed Armand Armand Speed? I think his name is. I don't know because they got. They're a, they're bumping right up against that 85 man scholarship limit. I read a really interesting report by. Justin Thine and Corey Robinson at 247 Sports. It, it's kind of weird when a scholarship officially frees up. I'm not completely sure if it's when a transfer says, you know what, I want to enter my name in the portal. Sometimes they do that. You don't have to honor that. But a lot of guys will say, yeah, go ahead, explore your name in the portal. If you want to come back, we'll have you back. I don't know if it's at the end of the semester thing. I don't know if it's when they officially commit to a new school, a la Kyle King going to Ball State. But they're bumping right up against that line. You return Ronald Williams. You return Charles Brantley. He should be fully healthy. Marquis Lowry, who was cornerback two large portions through the back half of the year and was cornerback two against Pittsburgh. He's back. Chester Kimbrough's back. You're bringing in Caleb Coley, who's a high, high three-star recruit, the former Vanderbilt committee. I could see Antonio, or not Antonio Gates, I could see Dylan Tatum sort of in that big nickel role. And then you got to thank Xavier Henderson's back. Angelo Gross is back. Darius Snow's back. You're probably going to throw Jaden Mangum with his 4-3 track star speed. Somewhere along that defensive backfield, Aid Willie, the IMG Academy recruits coming. I mean, they made a lot of commitment to shoring up that back end of the secondary. A.J. Kirk, another guy who was a high three-star recruit in that 2020 class and had offers from Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State. Kari Crump. We saw a little bit in the Peach Bowl. I mean, it goes deep with that secondary. And then another, the position, of course, I know you guys are going to be surprised, the offensive line. You got to have some depth right now. Because right now, that group for me is going to determine how far this team can go. And when you lose AGR Curie, Matt Allen, Luke Campbell, Kevin Jarvis. I think Blake Buter's probably leaving. We haven't heard anything, but it was pretty interesting to me that when the MSU football Twitter account announced this is who's coming back, and then they have, you know, they have all the headshots of Horst and Berenger and Reed and Henderson. Um Buter wasn't on that list. Buter was not mentioned on that list. And me being the online stalker that I am, there are a couple of his friends on um his Instagram page where you know, he had friends saying, um, Oh, he had friends saying, Oh, what a way to round out a career, you know, way to go out on top. And he's like, like, like the message, like the message, like full the message. On F- full on FBI man. Stearns. Yeah. I was going to say that the N- the NSA should hire me, but um, <laughs> I just, the offensive tackle position really worries me. And the interior worries me a little bit because right now, if the year started tomorrow, you would have Jarrett Horace, Shady Duplain, Nick Samak, Matt Carrick, Spencer Brown. At least that's my guess. You got two offensive tackles on your roster with any 
legitimate game experience. And Spencer Brown's only started one career game. Spencer Brown's a big, strong, physical kid, but was only playing in garbage time against Youngstown State. Got a couple drives against Maryland, but, you know, well, again, you, you didn't really see him in a big capacity. Ethan Boyd's never played in a game, Brandon. Baldwin has never played in a game. Geno Vandermark's a guy is a guard, and then all the guys you're bringing in, Ashton Lepo, Braden Miller, offensive linemen are a one, two-year physical project. And none of the linemen they're bringing in are early enrollees, so they don't get those 15 spring practices. They don't get those extra eight weeks. But you had a couple of those in the past year. And so those guys, the only way to get them game experience is to play them in a game. Like, you can't get them game experience in practice. And so sitting them out and not having game experience linemen, you don't get those by doing that. Otherwise, you might as well not recruit any linemen except for through the portal. And so do I think that they could use a couple linemen from the portal? Definitely. And I think they will go after some linemen in the portal. But I'm not as worried about it right now because I trust uh, Chris Kapilovich and I trust what he does. And he has been, he's recruited those guys specifically, and he's worked with those guys for a year and a half now. And if you give him another year, I think that some of those guys are going to be solid. I think to keep an eye on Ethan Boyd as a guy that could potentially get some playing time next season. Keep an eye on Geno Vandermark. Keep an eye on some of those guys that are younger to potentially play right away because as Mel Tucker says all the time, if you're good enough to play, you're old enough to play. He doesn't really care about how old the player is and how much experience they have. If they're good enough to play, they're going to play. And so we'll see what that means for that offensive line. But the fact that Horst comes back is a big deal. Because now every guy you just named has at least some game experience as well. So if you need those guys, you have those guys. And Horst was arguably their best offensive lineman for the majority of the season. And so him being back is a big, big deal. Yeah, um, I would, uh, I would agree that I, I think there will be a lot of, we'll see a lot of development and these guys who haven't gotten as much game experience, um, and that that is a necessity. It's just the whole situation surprising to me. I mean, if I'm if I'm an offensive lineman, um, whether I'm um, going into college right now or I'm in the transfer portal. Why not go to Michigan State? I mean, there's there's a battle at nearly every position up front. I mean, it, it's open, and you can be part of a great team that has a lot of potential next year. So, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, I don't think it's something to sweat over um, for Michigan State fans, but um, it, it definitely the the guys start working on it. What about defensive ends? That's another position group we haven't completely touched on. You lose your arguably your top three defensive ends, Jacob Pingenichuk, Drew Beasley, Andrew Jordan. I think we can pencil in Jeff Petrowski probably as one of those starting defensive ends. But then, as you said, Zach, obviously Chris Bogle's going to be featured prominently. I think Brandon Wright's going to have a shot. He was a guy who got more and more playing time toward the latter part of the year because just of having having that running back speed, having that running back background being a three-star running back that was recruited by Mark um, D'Antonio. It's the sheer straight line speed, I think, that's going to allow him to be used as sort of a pass rush specialist. But you have a Tavion Brown, and then you have, you know, a guy like Chase Carter, who's a really raw prospect, the Minnehana Academy from Minneapolis. Minnesota native coming in, but he had offers from West Virginia and from a lot of these other big Division One schools to play basketball. But he's raw. He's the guy who's on campus right now and is going to be enrolling. So that's going to be that's going to be another position group. Really, the only area where I don't want to say there, where I think there's going to be you, you sort of have your starters lined up as tight end. We know Malik Carr is going to be featured prominently. If Tyler Hunt's back, he probably takes one of those spots. He's a good blocking tight end, a good intermediate route guy. We don't know who the H back's going to be. Is that something that Harold Joyner? really jumps on with Connor Hayward leaving, or is that something yes. that just kind of leaves? I hope it is. I think so. Is um, when you even, heck, when you even look at a position like kicker, I think you, it would be good to have a backup kicker. You know, just a grad, sort of a graduate 
transfer like MSU had in 2020 with Matt, with Mitchell Crawford. I know he was a punter, but still, Bryce Berenger up to that point in his career was a little inexperienced, was having a little bit of trouble, and you go get a guy who was a decent player at a Conference USA school for three years. I mean, right now you're scheduled to have Jack Stone, who's never kicked a kick in his life, and then the three other walk-on guys with Evan Johnson and Evan Moore and Evan Morris and Steven Rushnick, and none of them proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that they can be counted on in crunch time if, if it's relied upon. So there's just a lot. Well, and Evan Morris is transferring out, right? I, I think he's gone. I think so. But nonetheless, I think that Jack Stone's going to be just fine. I mean, he's a six-star kicker, one of the top five kickers in the country. Jack Stone's going to be just fine. I'm really curious to see how they continue to move forward. D-end, I like Bogle and Petrowski. Um, and I think they're going to have some decent depth as well. The defensive line I'm not worried about, and par- part of the reason why I'm really excited about them on the defensive end, especially with those ends, is the new hire they just made. Well, reportedly just made, in Brandon Joseph, a DNs slash pass rush coach for NFLs. He's a trainer for NFL players. Worked with Von Miller, TJ Watt, and over 100 more NFL players, and there's multiple aspects to why that really helps Michigan State. For one, he's working with these NFL guys for a reason, so he's, he's good enough to work with those guys, and that means he's going to be able to teach the Spartan defensive ends. Second aspect is you can use that in recruiting. You can say, I've worked with these guys. I've worked with T.J. Watt. I've worked with Von Miller. I mean, T.J. Watt just tied the single-season sack record in 15 games this season because he missed two games. He worked with Frank Heron and Daquan Jones, people that only I know who they are, <laughs> which he did. But the third thing is, if he's working at Michigan State now, where do you think all those NFL defensive ends are going to come to train? East Lansing. All those guys are going to be in here in East Lansing. That is a huge deal for Michigan State in terms of recruiting because every time one of those guys posts a video, where are they going to be at? Michigan State facilities. Every time he posts a video working out with one of those guys, Michigan State facilities. That's a big-time recruiting piece for the Spartans. Well, and I, I agree with you on all those points, but he also trains you know, the best he trains the best high school defensive end prospects. You would have to think they would train up here too. And this is a guy who... Well, they, they can't really train up here because of... Or NCAA like rules, somewhere, but, I said somewhere nearby. Or, but you know, yeah. You're, you're going to yeah, have... Point you're, remains. Yes. You're going you're gonna to have that link as well. That was... That's what happens when you want to wade in the deep end of the pool and you don't want to, you're actually committed to winning. And I think you're starting to see Michigan State transform from a school that liked to win from a program that, you know, liked to win almost if it was convenient for them to a program that's willing to throw the Briggs truck and everything that Scrooge McDuck owns up the, you know, up the East Lansing and up to the Duffy Darty football building. What? Yes. And in, in other words, they're willing to spend whatever is necessarily needed. That's not a guy I think you can hire if you don't um, if you don't add more money to the assistant pool as part of Mel Tucker's latest contract stipulation, that 10-year, $95 million extension. The assistant pool got bigger, and the assistant pool was already big. It came in terms of Chris Kapilovich, who was offered by USC. USC was pursuing him really, really hard, and he said, I'm not going anywhere unless you give me a substantial pay raise. And what he's making at Michigan State right now is substantial. Michigan State's now in a position where it's not going to be one of those things where you're going to have Kentucky or Ole Miss or Alabama or somebody swoop in and say, yeah, we're going to pay you a little bit more. You know, you go from $3 million to $5 million. It's a big difference between going from like $3 million to $5 million to... I guess if you're a head coach, but an assistant, you know, let's say two or three million. Universities are going to be a lot less likely to poach your position, guys. You're going to have some form of stability because they're getting paid so much. That's what Kentucky did when Mel was trying to get Vince Morrow, one of the best recruiters in the entire country, but especially in the Deep South and, you know, sort of that Rust Belt area. Kentucky just said, you know, we're going to everything. We'll pay him 10. We'll pay him a lot. We'll pay him whatever you have to. I'm curious to see how the impact of Ephraim Reed has on recruiting. That's another guy who Michigan State just hired to replace William Piegler, who's now going to Florida as the tight ends coach under new head coach Billy Napier. So, Trevante Citizen is the answer yes, to that. That's, yes. the, that's the guy you want to watch there. And 
was reading a quote that Citizen had on Michigan State today after he announced the Spartans were in his top eight. Um, this was from On3 Sports. And he said that Michigan State really sold him on what Kenneth Walker was able to do. His run style, according to him, he self-described it as very similar to Kenneth Walker's. And he thinks he would be able to have that type of impact at Michigan State. Trevante Citizen, top 10 running back in the class of 2022. He would push Michigan State to a top 15 class in the country for 2022, along with the commitment of Jeremy Bernard last week. Trevante Citizen is a big deal. If Michigan State can pick up that recruitment, it's big for a lot of different reasons. Reasons, But Citizen's from Baton Rouge, so you'd be taking him right out of the backyard of LSU. Call it Baton Rouge! <laughs> he was a commit at LSU, but decommitted from LSU with the coaching changes. LSU is still in his top eight. So LSU's not out of it yet. But Michigan State would be going into the Deep South and taking a top running back from right in their backyard. And the way that they're able to do that, Ephraim Reed. Because I'll give you one guess where Ephraim Reed is from. Ooh, Ephraim Reed, I gotta put me on through, gotta put me on through down to Baton Rouge. I don't know. Baton Rouge. Rouge. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even have any words for this. <laughs> yeah, he's from Baton Rouge. And so that allows him to make a connection with those type of guys and work with those guys and really tap into another potential pipeline for Michigan State down in Louisiana. They've already recruited Georgia really, really hard. And now if they're able to start recruiting Louisiana as well, those two places, a Georgia four-star or a Georgia three-star is not the same thing as a Michigan three-star. A Louisiana three-star is not the same thing as a Michigan three-star. And both guys that they've been getting at right now, throughout their city and Citizen's a four-star, and a pretty high four-star as well. Yes, he is. Composite, his composite rating is around 96, which is on the higher end. And so, so if they can get him to East Lansing, that is a big, big deal. But I'm guessing he's probably not going to commit or sign until the late signing period, obviously, since the early signing periods already passed. Is that like February 11th or something like that? It's in February, yeah, middle of February somewhere. So he's got another month, but he cut it down to eight, and... With those eight schools, there's a lot of good schools in there and a lot of tough competition for Michigan State. None of them are great, though. And we talked about that. Like, Grambling State and Nebraska aren't going to get them. I'm sorry. uh, Grambling might. There's been a lot of movement to uh, the HBCUs recently, (sighs) um, especially uh, down at Jackson State. But there's Grambling, there's Nebraska, Auburn. Is a top spot. Florida would be. Florida's Florida, right there. USC, where Lincoln Riley just went out to. Miami now has Mario Cristobal and is trying to build a revival. LSU's right from his hometown. And then Michigan State. You don't usually see Michigan State in those spots in the past. And now you're seeing him there. But for the Spartans, they don't want to settle for the, oh, we made it to the top eight. So what? It doesn't matter if you make it to the top eight if you don't close the deal and that's what Ephraim Reed is trying to do well, I don't think right LSU is going to get citizen though you don't really you don't you very rarely do you see a guy decommit and then recommit Connor Hayward I mean but Connor, Connor Hayward is not Trevante citizen no Connor but Connor Hayward, Hayward, Hayward have the three star Hayward yeah I but Hayward transferred out and then came back in because he wanted to talk to the new coaching staff and that's the similar to where citizens at so we'll see it's it's a possibility but I think he's definitely a priority for Michigan State in this offseason to try and finish up that top 15 class. Yeah, the Reed hire, no doubt, was was. Huge. They finally made that official today, too. Yeah. Did they? Did the university officially announce it? I know. They did. Oh, they, well, I know the university. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm still waiting on the Mr. Brandon Jordan hire. That's going to be yeah. another three weeks. No, but that, that hire was, was huge, especially, um, especially for Citizen and those chances of getting him. And just the the familiarity that Reed brings, um, having been part of the program the past two seasons, is big. Um, um, what? <laughs> I don't oh, know I was, was going to say, well, I, you talk about familiarity. The guy was Jay Johnson's, one of Jay Johnson's running backs, is a player down in Louisiana when Jay was the offensive coordinator from, I don't know what it was, but, you know, mid to, you know, the 2010s. He was an offensive assistant at Louisiana from 2018 to 2019, was a good running back there who had, you know, had a variety of success there as sort of a platoon running back, never was really able 
to sort of snatch onto that latch, but he knows what Jay Johnson's like. Same thing with William Piegler. A lot of the offensive assistants that Michigan State brought in were because of the relationship to Jay Johnson, or in the case of a guy like Travaris Tillman, he was Mel Tucker's cornerbacks and secondaries coach out in Colorado. So you have that familiarity. He's a guy who's been in the building. He's a guy who I think the players are going to love playing for, a la like William Piegler, a young guy who knows how to connect with knows how to connect with the young man. It's not some 75-year-old crotchety old man, you know, like Mark Staten and Jim Pullman and the previous regime, you know. Uh, people th- th- are just catching strays from Stearns tonight. He's going th- out with a bang. That, like, actually know how to, you know, connect with those guys and relate to those guys. So I'm excited. I'm also going to be curious to see, and we've gone back and forth on this, does Michigan State hire a cornerbacks coach? Or, no. Or, or do they just say Harlan... You have full reign of the secondaries and safeties, and we might hire an assistant. Well, I think that's why they, I think that's what that hire of Brandon Joseph said to me, was that they're not going to hire a cornerbacks coach. They're going to let Barnett move over, and they hired another defensive assistant there. Because they didn't have a DN's coach before, and he takes the DN coach's spot, and I think they let Barnett move back. Because I think his title right now is still secondary coach. And so I don't even think they'd have to change his title. He just would be working more with the corners as well. And so that would be my guess as to what happens, but I guess we'll see. Well, I mean, that's let's let's give – I'm all for giving more reign to the guy who was, you know, the defensive backs coach when MSU was going to the Rose Bowl and going to the Cotton Bowl and who was Florida's defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. I think it's better to just have him have free reign of – you know, both the safeties and the corners. He's widely regarded as one of the best secondary defensive minds in the game. And I think that's going to be interesting to see. Mel Tucker previously has been on the record stating we're going to take our time. We're going to be very diligent. We're going to be very thorough in terms of finding the right guy that's going to fit our system, that's going to continue to place the building blocks of that meat and potatoes culture that you hear so often about, but I'm almost with Zach here. I'm not completely sure they they go out and get another guy because you have so many good defensive backs. Mine's already on that defensive stack. Mel Tucker got to where he was being a defensive backs guy. Harlan Barnett's a defensive backs guy. Ross Ells has done it before. Now him and Hazelton are more linebacking guys, but they've still done it if you really need to. And then, you know, you got defensive assistants who always can help out as need be. So when you have those guys and when your head coach specifically specializes in the development of the secondary and did it at Georgia and did it at Alabama and did it in the NFL and was a defensive coordinator in the NFL, that's how he rose to where he was. I almost think it's going to be one of those things where Harlan has free reign of those guys, but Mel takes almost a little bit more of a hands-on role. I mean, Mel had a very Mel was very hands-on at practices with those defensive backs, especially in fall camp. Like every open practice that they had, open to the media that I was at at fall camp, Mel was over there running the drill with the defensive back, and he was in their face. He was yelling at them, and he was go go go. And that's where he really started to talk about Chuck Brantley as one of their guys that could play a lot as a freshman. And he did. But I think Mel is probably going to do something, like you said, and stay really hands-on with that. Because, plain and simple, they have to be better than they were this year in the defensive secondary. Were they the worst defensive team in the country this year? No. Were they even the worst pass defense? I don't think so. They gave up the most passing yards, but not even near the most if you're going by yards per attempt. And so there's there's different arguments you can make because the teams are throwing that many times for a reason because MSU wasn't that great in the secondary. And I'm not arguing that they were. I'm just saying they weren't the worst in the country. But if you want to be in that top 10, if you want to compete for a Big Ten title, you have to be better than that, plain and simple. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'd agree with both of you. I don't think they're going to go on and look for anybody um, to add as... Um, as a corners coach, but you know, uh, I, I think they have they have enough tools. Uh, like Stern said, they have enough defense defensive mindsets, um, enough experience, um, and I think they've got the perfect tools needed for uh, this group of guys coming in. Um, 
this year in the secondary, and I think there's a great chance for a lot of development here. And if if Mel continues to work uh, more with them, I you know I I don't think there's much more you really need. Where else? Uh, and I, I'm I'm curious because I know I talked about it and I alluded to it a little bit. Where do you think Michigan State still needs transfer portal help? Where do you think is that one position where maybe you don't even need a starter, but you need some depth. You need a guy who can play in a pinch. You need a guy who's going to go out there and not be a complete train wreck. And I, you know, I already outlined most of my reasons, but for me, again, it's the offensive line. I just think getting a guy that's experienced that, you know, even if it's at a mid-major level that can come in and not be horrible Michigan State's not in a position now where it's, you know, if if I was a five, if you're going to be a five, six win team, yeah, go ahead and start all the freshmen. Trial by fire, you know, why not? Yeah, Peyton Thorne might end up on its butt sometimes, but, you know, sometimes the best way to learn is by doing. Um, You're not at that position right now. You're not in a position where, yep, we're going to give the game, the guys, the young guys game reps because we need to develop them. No, you're going to put the best five out there because you're trying to go to the college football playoff. And perhaps more so than any other position other than quarterback working on the offensive line takes a while to get used to. That's something that's not going to come with one, two, three game reps. And it just, it still worries me a little bit that you have nobody. I mean, nobody behind that starting five. That is a lick of game experience other than Jacob Isaiah, who's most of his experience was, you know, on the PAT unit, James Ohanba has gone. That's another guy who I thought could have featured more prominently, but you know, I like Ethan Boyd. I like Geno Vandemark. They're going to have their time in the sun um, when J.D. Duplain and Nick Samak and a lot of those guys are gone. But, you know, even guys like Matt Carrick, who got hurt at the end of last year, Jared Horse was nicked up a little bit. You need a guy because that five that you're going out with week one is not going to be the starting five that you're going to have come week 12. You're not, or I should say, you're not going to have the same starting combination 12 weeks in a row unless there's some magical miracle of God health-wise. Especially from what we saw this season. Yeah, I would say I would say offensive line is where I'm looking at. Maybe running back if they don't get citizen, but I don't know. They have a lot of talent at running back. They just have to figure out who's going to play where. Um, but yeah, O line I think is not linebacker, not linebacker. I can I can tell you that I don't think they need any more depth at linebacker because it seems like every transfer they get right now is a linebacker. Well, I don't think you need more in the secondary either. Like I I, I keep hearing people, oh, you know, let's hit this guy. Like guys. <sighs> You have a, like, if you can't form a competent secondary with a former Alabama player and a four-star, Charles Brantley was a high three-star, Marquis Lowry, who gave you some good reps, you brought in Caleb Coley, Darius Snow's back, Xavier Henderson's back, Angelo Gross is back, Malik Spencer, they're bringing in, Quavian Carter, those two guys from Georgia who are high three-stars. Like, if you have eight, nine guys, Kari Crump, if you have eight, nine guys like that, you should be able to find three or four that will play competent. I mean, yes, but you talked a lot about game experience, and very, very, very few of the guys you just mentioned have game experience. And so... I mean, I mean, think about it. Marquis does, Charles does, Ronald does, Kimbrough does, Henderson does, Snow does, Gross does. Right. Justin White, Kari Crump got him a little bit toward the end of the year. Crump didn't play a single defensive snap. He played some secondary, but or some special teams, but he didn't play a single defensive snap. But, I mean, yes, I agree. But I think that adding a guy like Amir Speed would not be a bad thing. A three-star corner, former three-star, high three-star corner, uh, was at Georgia and is just transferring from Georgia. Mel Tucker was a part of recruiting him to Georgia. I don't think that's a bad idea either. And so we'll see, but definitely O-line. They're still in the running for the guard from Louisiana, correct? Yeah, O, oh, I don't know what his name. I know it starts with O and then like O Ernest or something like that. Yeah, but right now Nonetheless, they're... yeah, they're still in the running for him. That's a big deal um, because he had 11 games played this year and he started every game for the last two seasons. I think it's, 20-something games, zero sacks allowed. Oh, Cyrus Torrance, that's his name. There yeah. you go. Zero sacks allowed. That's good. That's, that's pretty good. good. And they could use him. He could fill that right guard position right now that there's still a lot of questions about. And so we'll have to see. Well, right now I was looking. There is one transfer portal prediction in for 
Florida. The problem is when you're looking at a guy when you're looking at a guy like Osiris Torrance, I was I was excited about the idea too, but the, the just the sheer offer sheet that the guy has. Like, you know, just as I pull up his Twitter account, Miami, Florida has reached out to him. USC has reached out to him. LSU has offered him. MSU obviously has offered him. Clemson has offered him. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Ole Miss has offered him. Auburn has offered him. I, I mean, half the SEC's offered him, so it's going to be an uphill battle. To get it on. is, but these are the types of battles that Tucker wants to win. This is the tier Michigan State wants to get into because I promise you, they want to get to the tier of Ohio State. And I promise you, all of those teams you just mentioned, when Ohio State enters a recruitment outside of Clemson, when Ohio State enters a recruitment, Ohio State will win that recruitment. Almost every single time. And USC, too. USC's up there. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot you said that USC talked to him. But in general, like, those teams usually win those recruitments. Ohio State, Clemson, and those Alabama, Georgia. That's the type of tier Michigan State wants to get into. Oregon, although maybe not now with the new coach. We'll see. But that's where they want to be. These are recruitments that they feel like they can win. And we'll just have to see if they can deal with the snow and the cold because, my goodness, it has been cold over the last few days here in East Lansing. But, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how it goes and see with this schedule that they've got next season that just came out where they can get through it. So here's my final question for you guys. And I, I differ from Zach here. Surprise, surprise, shocker, shocker of the year. It's funny because you say that and I have no idea what you're going to say next. So, Well, because you hit on it. Is next year a college football playoff or bust for Michigan State? I don't say quite that, but I think you got to get to another New Year's Six. And I think you have to have another double-digit win year. When you look at the schedule, the 2022 schedule came out yesterday. Obviously, Western Michigan Akron should easily take care of those, I think. MSU's going to be easy favorites against Washington. Obviously, That's Michael, a tough game, though. I know. Michael I, Matt, Michael Penix has transferred there, but That's, it's Jimmy Lake's first year. It's not it's, even that. For me, it's just the fact that if you look at the Michigan State and at the Big Ten road against the Pac-12, it never goes well. I am, If I'm Michigan State, I am not excited to go out and play Washington in terms of thinking that that's an easy win because it's not. Well, it's not an easy win, but it's a game you got to win. It's similar to what oh, Miami it, was it's this a, year. It's a game you have to win. I don't know that. I don't know that I think that it's college football playoff or bust for Michigan State. The Big Ten's too good for it to be college football playoff or bust. But I do think that you have to compete in those games. Um, now I say it's not college football playoff or bust. If they get to October fifteenth undefeated and they've beat Ohio State already. Then it's college football playoff or bust. Because that Ohio State game's early. Well, and that that stretch from October 8th to October 29th is going to decide what happens with this team. That and then the Penn State game at the end. Yeah, yeah but I mean, you, you host you host Ohio State. You host Wisconsin on the 15th. You have a week off, then you travel to Michigan, and then the back half of your schedule's a little bit lighter going to Illinois, but then having records in Indiana and home, and then obviously finishing out the year at Happy Valley. But even hosting Minnesota the first week, of the conference season on September 24th isn't the easiest game in the world. That's a perennial, you know, 7-8 win team, but, you know, that's what happens with the crossover. I think MSU deserved to get to where they got, and you you don't, you don't never know how these games are going to shake out or how the conference standings are going to be the following year when the schedule's announced in January, but let's be honest, MSU was helped by the fact that they played Nebraska Northwestern. They were the two worst teams what in the what, West? What teams in the West do you think would have beat Michigan State this year, though? Wisconsin when they were hot. I think Wisconsin when they had what? What they read off six, seven wins in a row before flubbing against Minnesota. But if you replace, I'm saying, like if you replace a Northwestern or a Nebraska game with either of those teams, Wisconsin was awful at that point in the season. So you've got Wisconsin, maybe. I don't think Iowa beats Michigan State. I think so. You think so? I think Iowa would have. I just it's can't see high. Iowa scoring more than ten points. In any game ever, I guess. I, are we talking? I if, are we talking at I'm, all, or are we talking? I mean, but by the by the same token, Peyton Thorne ain't gonna get much going against that secondary. And if Walker's at sixty percent as he was week nine through week twelve, once again, like I said, I was putting these games in exchange for the two teams okay. you said. So that's week uh, one or week five. What? Uh, and at that point. Iowa was a Iowa top maybe five team Iowa for a was while. yeah, but who did they play? They beat Penn State when Penn State was a top five team, which Penn State was not a top five team, but they, not the point. They beat Penn State 
and they were losing by 17 to Penn State when Sean Clifford got hurt. I mean, you beat Ohio. I mean, you beat Iowa State. It wasn't awful. Not top 25, but a you know a seven. Iowa State played team. in the Cheez It Bowl. I mean, yeah, I, hence, I, I hence, the, term, hence the term not awful. Iowa State played in the Cheez It Bowl. Let's not let's not get ahead played, of ourselves. They beat a five hundred. They beat a five and four Big Twelve team who went to a bowl game. And they I beat mean, um, who was it? Was it Colorado State that they beat by like five? Yeah, twenty four to fourteen. Yeah, that they were down for most they of the beat game. Maryland, they beat Maryland by thirty seven. I get the schedule. And then... they just they can't. They couldn't score. Their defense scored more than their offense, and that's not sustainable. But I mean, none of this will ever matter. But my point is, I think Iowa was more helped by not having to play Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State than anything else. Agreed. Nebraska was the best 3-9 and nine team in the history of football. And that's not even an opinion. That's just fact. They finished 3-9 and nine with a plus 63-point differential. That's crazy. Yeah, when you lose, I'd say I got that. When you lose to Michigan by three, and you lose to Purdue by five, and you lose to Ohio State by eight, and you lose to Wisconsin by seven, and you lose to every. <laughs> they were one in one in eight in Big Ten play, and finished with a zero point differential. Because yeah. their eight losses were by a combined fifty six points, and their one win was by fifty six points against Northwestern. Right? They won right. fifty six to seven or something. Yeah. So they literally finished at a zero point differential and went one in eight. Nebraska was a good football team, and nobody's really talking about it that much. But, like, Nebraska was a better team than Rutgers. Rutgers went to a bowl game at 5-7. and seven. I promise you Nebraska would have put up a better fight against Wake Forest than Rutgers did. Well, going back to the <laughs> I mean, original. I, I just, I, like, I... Uh... Before we get too far down the rabbit hole... We're, like, we're already way too far I, down like, the rabbit I, hole. I see, I, I see the point, but I also... Man, I three and nine is three and nine. That's the problem. If you win half those games, you're six and six. Nebraska's not a good football team, but best they're an average football team. But anyway, um, you know, I regardless, I hate uh, way too early predictions as it is. Uh, oh yeah, but uh, but you know, especially when you look at the schedule, you really can't uh, determine anything until that that middle stretch. Um, I mean. That that's no doubt gonna make or break the season. Um, I don't think it's playoff or bust. Um, I think you need. I think you just need to be in the same position you were this year. Honestly, I I think um, obviously there needs to be a lot of changes made um, in terms of just. In game um, progression, but you know, I I don't know. I think I think there's too many questions still, um, especially with the corners. I'm I'm eager to see the direction they're going on defense, but I I still think there's just um, you gotta see it out on the field. No doubt they're they're looking great in recruiting, um, especially at linebacker and. Uh, the secondary positions, but you know, you you gotta wait to see the production on the field first. So, I think they at least need to have the same kind of year. I think they need to win between nine and eleven games in the regular season, which I which would not put them in the playoff. But I think they have to be competitive. You cannot get beat fifty six to seven again no. by Ohio State. You have to be in that football game. That is any slanting. You can't get blown out in that game. No, that's what I'm saying. You you need to have the same record, but you can't lose these right. games. You the need way you to Im- you need to improve. You can't be, and you can't be. I hope you guys aren't listening to this podcast with headphones on because we are right now, <laughs> and that was not pleasant. But yeah, so that's where I feel. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to be back. I know you guys got to go out on a fun note though, with the Peach Bowl. And, uh, oh, also, don't, I hope nobody out there forgot. I can't let you guys forget. We're not going to just brush over the fact that uh, I was wire to wire in the pick'em. You were? Dubs. Wow. From the beginning, wire to wire. I'm taking my dub. I was awful. I was awful. Congratulations, Zach. <laughs> proud of you. It's the only good thing I can do in my life, so I got to be proud of it. Well, you can't, I was going to say, well, you came into contact with me, and everyone that's ever come into contact with me has gone down to good, has gone down to good. I have that effect on people. 
Way to get it out, Stearns. We're proud of you. Yeah, but no, it, it's going to be an exciting 2022 year. Um, I think, you know, you said, Zach, you know, these schedules are made four or five, six years out in advance, but it still helps that MSU's not having eight home games like Michigan is, and they are challenging, challenging themselves at least once. I think in the non-con season, you know, some teams will try to go full bore a la Tom Izzo and try to schedule every hard opponent that you can you possibly find. You can't do find. that in college football no, right now. No, you can't. But you need you need one game that's gonna be that's gonna be mildly challenging for this year. It was against Miami in years past. It was Arizona State. One of those Pac-12 teams is not a bad thing. You can't play Western Michigan, Akron, St. Barbara School for the Deaf and the Blind, Barbara Scotia. That is two mentions of them in this episode. And Central Michigan. Sure. I don't know. They might as well pay you for advertising, Stearns. <laughs> but it's not a real school, so. Um, little do you know. Actually, let me Google. Oh, my goodness. Is this Saint, a real school? Wait, did I say St. Barbara? Yeah, St. Barbara. There's school <laughs> for the deaf and the blind. St. Barbara School for the Deaf and the Blind. No, but there is the Florida School for the Deaf and the Blind. Well, and there's okay. the South Carolina School for the Deaf and the Blind. All right, so... Anyways. I just... It, <laughs> I, I'm, exci- I'm excited. I know, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a heck of a ride. You know, we'll, we'll still do this podcast as needed if there's a big transfer thing or if, you know, the university decides to pay for my grad school so I can come back or, you know, <laughs> things like that. that. One. Yeah, I know. I, I, <laughs> better... Uh, Better safe than sorry. I might try to apply. I don't, though. I won't. I, I, I'm so sick and tired of the school crap. But, um, yeah, no, I'm going to be I'm gonna be curious to see. I think, you know, wrapping up the offensive line is going to be big because if Matt Carrick is starting week one, I'm going to break something. And I mean, we know. And I'm we more know. likely going to break a large variety of things, folks. But it's been a heck of a ride. Thank you for tuning in. Michigan State 11-2 and makes our job a heck of a lot easier when you got a top 10 men's basketball team and a top 10 football team. You guys got anything else? No, just thank you guys for listening all season long. It's been a blast. I've I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, you're stuck with me for a couple more years, so uh, get used to it. And yeah, it should be fun. I appreciate everybody that's listened either to this podcast or to any of our games or anything throughout the season. I know all of us work really hard at what we do, and we hope to put out a good product for you guys. So thank you. I love, well, I'm trying to think, what do I love? Oh, right. You know how normally, like, whenever there's a podcast ending, like, you have to do it with, you have to go with the song, like, there's, like, an outro, so I'm going to go, Call it bad, can you put me up?